when you show yourself vulnerable, you give others permission to do the same. And what I realized is the more vulnerable I am, the more I get that back from the people who connect with me. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Joining me today again, we're fortunate to have Jody Mayberry. Hey, Jody. Oh, Jared, you don't know how good it is to be here. Well, I always appreciate you coming over and hanging out. And yeah, that this is like two episodes in a row. So I feel extra special. Yes. And it had been quite a while. So this this is good. And you've also invited someone else into your yard. Well, yeah, today we're, <laughs> we're fortunate to have Matt Dobschitz from Dauber.co. And Matt is not only a friend, but he's he's gone from having a problem to reconciling the problem and finding a solution for it to now helping others with that same problem and doing a lot of other exciting things too. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here. So uh, Jody is not a stranger to Starve the Doubts. So Jody, I'm going to give you the task of, of starting out the kickoff question with Matt. Oh, Matt, this is, this is, uh, Jared, you, you caught me off guard there. I, I assume the kickoff. That, that never happens to Jody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I assume the kickoff question maybe is the old style kickoff question, Jared. Matt, what? what? I think it's whatever Jody wants to know. Oh, is that right? Oh, well, very good. Well, let's just go old school. Uh, Matt, what, what's the best concert you've been to? Well, you know, I knew you guys might ask this and I was trying to, I mean, I've been to a lot of cool concerts. So I'll start with one of the coolest concerts. When I was, I don't know, maybe in college, my teenage sister came home from a show and she had a cassette tape. You know how they used to throw out cassette tapes like demos, like especially the bands who are opening up for the big band. And she gives me this cassette tape and it was Rage Against the Machine. So I put this in and I'm like blown away by it. And I go, I wonder if this group is coming. So I look in the paper, you know, because there's no internet back then. And uh, they were coming like a few weeks later. So my sister and I, who at the time was maybe 13 or 14, went to this concert and it was like half full. And uh, it was at this really small club. And it was like mind blowing. Like we had no idea what we walked into. And so that that's probably one of the bigger ones that I like to go back to. That's interesting because, Matt, I, what I've seen of you and your online presence and know of you from meeting you in person, like I wouldn't have guessed Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> uh, you know, the first concert I went to was Public Enemy, Run DMC, EPMD, <laughs> and DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. So, As it should so be. that was the first concert I went to. I, I grew up in Chicago, so I loved hip hop and I loved house music. So, yeah, a lot of people don't know that, but that's what the music that I loved. And then I also, in college, got really into like punk music and some other stuff. So I have very diverse tastes. And the older I get, the more obscure and diverse my taste gets. And my wife kind of hates it because she thought we met in the 90s and she kind of thought we liked the same music. But the, the older I get, the more eclectic my music gets and the more sort of mainstream she gets. I'm curious to know what kind of cassette Jody used to jam out to all the time. What kind of cassette? That's interesting. But uh, speaking of, I I think at one point in probably back in grade school, I probably wore through a, a DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince tape, cassette tape. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's interesting, Matt, that you said you listen to punk music. I've heard Jared call you a punk, but that that just <laughs> he must have just been talking about the music you listen to. Well, it was said with love and respect. Yeah. When I no, that's up. great. Hey, but one more thing about Jazzy Jeff, though. That guy is one of the best live DJs you could ever see in life. He still plays out shows. We'll go on YouTube and search Jazzy Jeff doing like turntablism and like, you know, cutting and scratching. It's incredible. Is turntablism a, a real phrase or is that a Dauber original? No, that's a real <laughs> phrase. There's all there, you know, it was kind of popular in the 2000s, turntablism. You know, there were a number of artists who kind of, you know, would make music with live turntables. But I mean, he's old school. He he just has two decks and, you know, he does some great stuff still. And And people still, you know, book him for parties and He's still kind of a legend. In college, I used to try to to DJ and do turntable, but I all I had was two old Walkmans. It didn't work out well. <laughs> <laughs> DJ Jody Mayberry, I like that. Yeah, dude, DJ, what's it? Sugar J, isn't that your new? Uh, uh, yeah, that yeah. Name yeah. that you're going by? Sugar J. Jared, do you know the whole Sugar J story? I don't. If yeah. you'd be willing. Well, I don't know if now's the time for it. This is this is supposed <laughs> to be about Matt. Okay. Matt, one Fair of enough. one of the things that I think really draws people to you is I saw your PMX talk at Podcast Movement and you did wonderful by the way. And how vulnerable you are and open about an addiction you had in your past and how you overcame that and now help people with the same addiction. That I think it's incredible because if people have their own addiction, they're not likely to talk about it. But not only do you talk about it, you step out in front and say, hey, I've I've been where you are and I'm here to help. So I, I admire that you do that. So so tell us a bit about your journey. Well, you know, my journey comes out of porn addiction. And I was a porn addict way before the internet. I first discovered like a magazine at a like a convenience store when I was like seven or eight. And I the moment I, you know, I opened this magazine. And I saw this like naked woman on a bed and immediately I had this reaction like this is something I shouldn't see. Like I had some sort of internal shame about seeing it. But at the same time, I was like enthralled and like wondering how could I get more of this? How could I find this? And it started basically almost a lifelong quest to find pornography. And, you know, as a kid, I kind of would look for it. My parents never had any pornography, but I was always trying to find it. And then as I became a teenager, I stole it and later bought it. And then, you know, by that point, videos and you could get, go to a video store and rent porn and things like that. You know, I had a, by the time I was 19 or 20, I had a full blown habit where I couldn't, I just compulsively was looking at porn and would kind of binge and purge and go through the cycle of trying to get rid of it. And I knew it was a problem for me. And just kind of was alone in it for many years. And then the internet came along, which made it private and took it kind of underground. Like it was really easy to get porn. And so even as I got into marriage, I thought maybe that might solve my problem. But marriage, as you know, you guys are both married. You know, it was challenging. There was real intimacy. I was married to a real person with problems and challenges. And I was, I personally, I think was kind of immature when I got married. And so that made the addiction even more of a, not only a shameful secret, but a place that I retreated to when things got hard. (laughs) 
Matt, I know there's going to be a lot of people that can relate to this. I, on, on many levels, can relate to this. So I'm curious to know you have a problem to then finally saying, OK, no more of this. I'm really going to make an effort. Not an effort. I'm going to stop. I want to hear that story. <laughs> well, it, you know, I wish I had some mountaintop experience where I heard a voice that told me to stop and I got the message. But it took my wife finding me, you know, in my office late one night downloading porn and just the exposure. And she didn't have any idea. She knew that I had kind of struggled a little bit, but I had totally hidden this for the first couple of years of our marriage. And it was devastating to her. But at the same time, for me, finally, this secret world started to come out, you know, like this thing I had been hiding and it took so much energy to hide. And I was, you know, I was lying and covering my tracks with browsers and stuff. And, you know, and, and so it just, it, in some ways there was this relief that my secret was out, but my wife, she was really gracious, but she said this thing the first night, she said, I know this isn't about me, but you need help. And my wife is really strong and she just wasn't going to let me off the hook. Like, and so it, it really, it led me to, to try to find a group and I started going to a local group and, and that's when I started really, you know, talking about stuff with people. And Jody, you know, one thing that happened early on was I went to this recovery group and they make you at this group, you had to sign a contract that you wouldn't drink alcohol. And if you know me, I like beer and, you know, people, <laughs> I'm kind of a bigger guy and people are used to me being kind of a, a guy at a party who tells jokes and has a lot of fun. And so I started going out to happy hours with my coworkers and I would order a Sprite and my coworkers noticed this and they're like, what's going on with you? You know, Matt, why are you ordering a Sprite? And I had a choice, you know, do I tell them why I'm really, why I'm not drinking or do I make up a story about it? And so I chose right then to start telling people, Hey, I struggle with porn addiction. I went to get some help. I'm in a group where we can't drink. That's why I'm not drinking. And what I found is like coworkers and other people, a lot of times, even if they don't understand it, they're supportive. And uh, I got, I just got a lot of affirmation actually from just telling my story. And so from then on, that kind of became the secret to me is just being more honest and open, bringing other people in. Uh, Matt, there might be somebody out there who who would justify and say, you know, uh, pornography is, is me not cheating on my spouse. You know, it, it's, it's not a problem. It's preventing me from doing something worse. What do you say to that person? I think that it is taking your attention away from your spouse and it robs you of intimacy. It, I, I don't buy that. I don't buy that it's somehow preventing something worse than happening. You know, I just, I, I guess I don't really relate to that. I think that you know, I, I just, I don't know, Jared, I, I don't know if I really connect with that. It's a sense of like, you know, what pornography really was for me was withdrawing into myself. It was pulling away from people. And I used images to meet my own fantasies and my own sort of private, selfish world. And what I found is in marriage, the thing that has helped me to grow is intimacy and connection and being seen and being loved. And so I never got that from porn. So the idea that somehow porn is a good thing for my marriage or helps my marriage, I don't buy. Matt, when you were talking about how when you, you opened up, told people why you weren't drinking and they were supportive of it, it reminds me of I myself don't drink. And 
when I would tell people that, like, say, be, be at a party or something, and I would tell people I didn't drink, they would always say, oh, come on, just just try one. Come on, just have a drink. But if I, I eventually got tired of that. I never would drink, but I eventually got tired of that. And just as an experiment, I would tell people, oh, no, I'm recovering. I used to be an alcoholic. Then they were so understanding and they would never pressure me. <laughs> so it's it's so interesting that when you're vulnerable, now I wasn't telling the truth there, but they saw that as being vulnerable. Then the pressure was gone. It was like all of a sudden I was I was human. Maybe the fact I wasn't drinking and they were, they didn't like, I don't know. But as soon as I said, no, there was a problem, people were great about it. So I, I like that story of that you told how people uh, were so understanding of the problem, and I think that's how you make those connections. Is it it makes uh, makes you feel more real to them to admit hey, you had an issue. Jody, I want to I want to ask this too, uh, Matt. When you were vulnerable and you were transparent about, hey, this is something that I've struggled with, and now even to the level of where you've been very very vocal about this online that someone who knows you or someone who looks you up is going to know that you're associated with this. What impact has that had on you professionally? I mean, in, in jobs you've had and stuff, has, has that been looked down upon or, you know, has there been any element of shame there? I, I know obviously you've recovered from this, but I'm just curious about that the element. Yeah, it's interesting you man- mentioned. So, you know, I host this podcast called Porn Free Radio and I started it when I was in a corporate job. And I was actually taking a class with, you know, Cliff Ravenscraft and uh, I was going to call the show Porn Free Radio with Matt D. I was just going to not have my last name. And the class, you know, the other people in the course and Cliff even said, I think for you to, to really own this issue and to be open about it, you just need to not look like you're hiding anything. And so I came back and I told my wife, I think I'm just going to use my name on the podcast and and she was really nervous. And uh, but here's the crazy thing: when no one at work, especially in you know our culture today, people are very sensitive, and they you know. And what I realized is, people, even if they found out about it, would never bring it up to me. Like I'm sure people knew about it, but it never came up because it's in a you know it wouldn't be appropriate to talk about at work, so no one ever brought it up. So I don't think it had a big impact on me. And I wondered whether people even knew about it. But, you know, it was funny. One time I was sitting with a marketing manager who I worked with, who was a good friend, and we did a search for something related to our brand. And a very beautiful Korean woman came up wearing basically no clothes, you know, in this search. And my friend, she turned to me and she goes, there's a story for the podcast. And, and I was like, and I had no idea that she even knew about the podcast. So I was like, so they knew about it, but it was kind of like a don't ask, don't tell. And I realized it didn't really matter. Here's the other thing I realized. People who listen to my podcast are interested in getting help. I talk about, you know, my podcast is for motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn. People who don't answer to that message or don't like jibe with that message, they do not listen. Even my close friends don't have the energy to listen to my show if they're not interested in that issue. So I only know probably like two or three people in life who listen to my show personally. I know tons of listeners from emails and stuff, but you know, the actual people who listen to my show week in and week out, 
very few people in my actual circle. Are you surprised by the response you've gotten from putting out that podcast? I am not surprised by the way people connect with me because I remember what it was like in those days when my wife first caught me. You know, I went a few years. We did not have podcasts. I got a few books here and there, but I didn't know anybody like me. So the power of podcasting now to connect with people who struggle with something you struggle with. Hey, I still like hearing from people. People send me their stories every day and I see myself sometimes in their stories and I'm like, I like talking to them. Like it helps me. And I was thinking, you know, I I talked to Angus Nelson the other day and he said this quote, he said, when you, when you show yourself vulnerable, you give others permission to do the same. And what I realized is the more vulnerable I am, the more I get that back from the people who connect with me. Matt, I'm going to fast forward your story a little bit. So you had your problem. You started a podcast about that problem. Then you started coaching other men going through this. And you you built a, a pretty good side business doing so. And then you made a very interesting leap. You saw what worked in what you were doing. And now you, from the, the business aspect, from attracting clients and doing sales funnels and writing copy for the products you were doing. And now, now you've helped other people do that. And that's a really interesting jump. When did it hit you that, okay, what I've learned here, maybe there's something bigger. And rather than just focus on recovery coaching, I'm going to take the step out and help other people with what I learned building this business. It was really a process. I mean, my original job was in marketing. And what I realized when I started doing the podcast and even coaching is that I needed to do marketing for my brand, you know, and, you know, I know this is starved the doubts. I mean, there were a lot of limiting beliefs I had about myself and about doing sales or writing sales copy. You know, I mean, the first time you write sales copy for a product, you feel like the slimiest person on earth because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm really selling myself here. But it's a skill that you need to to learn if you want to eat because, you know, no one buys a product that you don't sell. You know, people do not bang down your door to give you money unless you create value and create something. So, So I think as soon as I started doing that, it was really liberating because when I worked in corporate America and marketing, you know, you would do an ad campaign and you would have trouble proving the ROI and you hope that it moved the needle on sales. But when you start to do an email sequence with your list or when you launch a product, you see right away, are people buying this? Is this work? So it was really cool to see that in my own brand and some of the things I was doing. And then Yeah, as you said, I've been able to help some other people with their brands. Because what I've noticed is a lot of people like myself in a niche are really good at whatever they're an expert in. You know, like I'm really good at helping guys come up with systems to let go of porn and to to create new habits in their life. But it doesn't mean that I was a natural at marketing my services or marketing my brand. And I see that with other people too. They they're really good at what they do, but they're really, they're not really experienced about how to write copy or how to send an email that's actually going to convert. 
No, man, I, I'm just amazed. I, like my, my self-doubt would have said, okay, here's this topic that I'm dealing with or have dealt with and now creating a business out of that. Like I would have thought, you know, is that actually going to work? Well, and you've been able to prove that it, that it does. Well, you know, it's funny when last summer when I left my corporate job, you know, my first thought was, well, I should just do some consulting and marketing. Like that's what I know. That's what I've been doing the last 10 years for a brand. And, you know, maybe that's what I could do. And the funny thing is, is I started coaching, you know, to, was just, I just offered coaching as part of what I did on my podcast and that started taking off. And so I did some marketing stuff, but my, my actual business actually grew this, this pornography recovery business really grew and started making more income than the consulting, which I was pretty surprised by. So I always thought that there was a, a market here, but it definitely grew faster than I expected. Matt, can we talk about real quick how you went from the day job where you're, you know, you're hanging out with these colleagues and stuff to now a full-time business like you're running? I mean, how how did that transition occur? Well, it was in June last year. I bike commuted to work and, you know, had checked my email and did a couple things. And I had a one-on-one with my boss and I went to go to the one-on-one and I realized that I was getting let go. And I had been at this company for 10 years and I had been on the, you know, kind of on the side of a reorg that where I didn't have a a big advocate for me and, and they gave me a great package, but I basically went to, to work on a Tuesday and, and was home at 1030 in the morning. I actually had to take like an Uber home because I had my bike and uh, I couldn't carry home the box of stuff with my bike. So I came home and I was kind of like, what am I going to do? You know, and, you know, to be honest, I had been thinking entrepreneurially. I had just went to South by Southwest in March for my company and I got to meet Gary Vaynerchuk. And so I kind of had an idea, but I did not know how to launch or make the transition. And that's kind of, I mean, I started the, the podcast hoping that maybe I could turn it into something. But, you know, in June, I really was kind of challenged, like, are you going to try to make this work or are you going to go get a, another day job? And so my wife and I looked at the severance and looked at kind of some of the momentum that I had with my, my mailing list and my, my podcast. And, and then we got some help from mutual friend of all of ours, Mike Kim, you know, he kind of gave me some feedback and some coaching and kind of went for it. So that's how it started. I mean, it was, I, I didn't, you know, when I, when I look back now, they did for me, they really funded my startup. You know, they accelerated something that probably would have taken me years to do if I was trying to just do it as a side hustle, because all of a sudden I could spend all day long making podcasts, writing emails, doing coaching sales calls, you know, talking to people who are maybe potential coaching clients where I couldn't do that before. I know Jody's immune to this, but I fall into that category where I can't always see what others see. And it's, I've had people tell me, hey, you, you should think about this, this, and this. And I'm like, well, I, I would have never even considered that. So it, it's nice to hear that you had some people in your corner that could help you think through some things that you might not have been able to I, you know, get together, pull together on your own. I remember I was talking to Mike Kim in my backyard. And even though you know, this was a good thing for me. You know, I felt all the rejection, all the doubt 
that you have when you're working at, and I worked at a really strong company with a lot of great relationships. And it's like one day I'm in the club and the next day I'm out. So all those feelings of rejection and doubt were there, even though I felt like I had some value, you know, it really shook me. And Mike really just said, hey, look at all this stuff you've done for your brand. Look at all this stuff you did. Look at all these skills that you can leverage, that you can pivot from. And that really helped. Like he saw value and spoke value into me that made me go, yeah, I think I can do this. No, that's great. All right. So, uh, Jody, if it's okay, let's let's kind of do a few headlines and, and put Matt on the hot seat here and just kind of see what kind of feedback he can pull from these, if, if that's okay. Let's do it, Matt. I don't know if you were prepared for this, but it's about to happen. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. Well, I'm, I'm ready for anything after this year. <laughs> yeah, I think this year's prepped you for this podcast episode. So, Jody, would you like to go first or would you like me to do the honors? Well, I'll, I'll jump in, Jared. I, so, Matt, what I do here when Jared asks about headlines, I, I don't know where he pulls his, but I just pull up the <laughs> Twitter and I look what's trending. And so what's trending right now is Black Cat Appreciation Day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that a question? Uh, <laughs> that's more of a a statement. But uh, Matt, what what do you think? How do you tie in Black Cat Appreciation Day? Well, I'm definitely allergic to cats, and so I've eliminated all cats from my life. Cats don't serve me at all, and I've I've totally hundred uh, percent cat free. Well, I I can piggyback off that, Matt, and say you know that in life and in business and in starving the doubts, there's probably been some things that didn't serve you well and you had to get rid of them. We know uh, of some struggles you've, you mentioned yeah. porn and stuff. What are some other things that you've had to just part ways with in order to make progress? Oh boy. What else did I have to let go of? You know, with porn, I had to let go of a number of TV shows that I liked. And it's not that anyone told me I had to let go of these things, but they just, um, they just kind of like made me go to a place that I didn't want to be. And I remember one thing I had to let go of was Howard Stern. I loved listening to Howard Stern and I loved, you know, he talk about, you know, podcasting has this intimacy. You know, when you listen to Howard Stern, you feel like, you know, Howard Stern and you feel like, you know, all the characters on the show, but as a person, he's definitely, he's kind of negative sometimes. And he has this thing that for me and my spirit, I got a little, I would get kind of down listening to him. And so I realized for me, it wasn't so much that he had, you know, strippers on or things like that. It was more that I just didn't like who I was when I was listening. Like I just felt kind of down. And so I remember having to let go of that. It felt stupid. I remember telling someone, yeah, I gave up Howard Stern. But for me, it was like really hard. All right, Matt. Next headline is Blake Shelton apologizes for tweets. So apparently Blake Shelton had some tweets that were inappropriate. He's now apologizing for those. So I think the question, and I'm going to open this up to Jody as well, but we'll start with you, Matt, is uh, what's something that you've had to apologize for and what was the outcome? Boy, you know what? I lied to my wife a week ago about something and I had to go back and say, hey, when you asked me this direct question, I lied to you. And it was, it hurt because she, she has a lot of trust in me, but you know, with my history, you know, I definitely made some bad choices and was deceptive. So having to go back and say I lied about something really, really sucked, but I got through it.
What about you, Jody? Jared, I'm starting to get a complex. This is two episodes in a row you've asked me about apologizing. I feel like there's... <laughs> You're hinting at something I'm supposed to apologize to you for. <laughs> we like to pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip with Jody yeah. Mayberry. Should, should we just get this out in the open on, on the air, Jared? What's happening? <laughs> your conscience is your guide there. Jody. So I actually have something today I had to apologize for. So I, I had a meeting that ran long, but a listener of this show Dan Erickson, he was in my hometown of Port Townsend, and we had set up a time to get together for tea. And I was 30 minutes late, Jared. And you know, oh, no. yeah, you know yep. how I keep a tight ship. And I was 30 minutes late. And uh, I really, at that point, had two options. You, I just don't show up and never talk to him again. Or I, t- I tell him what happened and say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I did the best I could, which is what I did, I said, hey, I, I had no idea that would happen. That last meeting would go so late. I'm I'm sorry. And you know what? He was very gracious. And and I said, hey, no, no problem. And we we had a wonderful 30 minutes together. So I think that's all you got to you got to do is uh, you can make excuses, which I could have. But I just said, hey, look, this is what happened. I'm sorry. I did the best I could. Uh, I hate that that happened to Dan. Dan's such a good guy. What were you thinking, Jody? Uh, I must <laughs> I must not have been. And we actually did talk about Star of the Doubts today, too. Oh, man. I'll say this, Matt. I had to apologize to my wife, too. And, and it's a little bit of a different story. But I went and made an agreement for someone to come and visit us in our home and stay with us without talking to her. <laughs> Oops. And, you know, I thought in my mind, hey, this isn't going to be a big deal. It became an issue because there was a lot of other things conflicting on the calendar that I had not considered or knew about. And so I later had to go back to the party and say, hey, I, I said yes, but now I realize I've made a mistake and I had to apologize to my wife and to them. And so the lesson I learned there was <laughs> talk to my wife before I commit stuff, which should be a given, but man, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, Jared, you know what's good there is in that situation, it's so easy and maybe even guys will may not admit it, but tempting. It's so easy and tempting to just turn that around and say, ah, she, you know, she won't let me or, you know, she's blame it on the wife on why it's not happening rather than admit, Hey, I didn't even ask. And that's not a respectful thing to do. Well, if I blame it on the wife and it gets back to her, I'm going to have another problem. (laughs) (laughs) I've learned that lesson too. (laughs) So thanks Jody. All right. Well, why don't we wrap up with um, uh, we'll, we'll just go with the Jody strategy. I see a hashtag on here on Twitter, which I think is interesting. And it, it kind of plays into what we've been talking about. This is current day, not past. Matt, the hashtag is sometimes when I'm alone. So go at it. Uh, Matt, sometimes when I'm alone. Sometimes when I'm alone, I like to watch ABC Family. So, All right. So, I mean, like, I don't know if it's like old full house episodes or if it's, uh, you know, teen dramas. I'm a big sucker for for coming of age stories. So and I at first I used to go like, what is my motivation for watching? Like, you know, one thing I love is those Christmas movies that come out, you know, those really sappy Christmas movies. And at first I used to question, like, what is my motivation? Is there something wrong with this? And then I realized, I just like this. I don't know why. It's just, uh, it's like brain candy. I just like these little stories that wrap up 
that have these little happy endings. And I don't know if it was something I missed in childhood, but that's it. <laughs> what about you, Jody? Well, there, there's a, a, this show from Canada called, I think it's called Just for Laughs. And sometimes when I, I'm alone and feeling stressed, I'll pull those up and watch a few of them. And oh my goodness, they get me laughing and then I just go right back to work. I, it's not like that's a, a big secret, uh, something I wouldn't want anyone to know. But when I'm alone and I need <laughs> a laugh, I just watch a couple of those. Have you ever watched those, Jared? I haven't, but I'm putting it on my list. I, I know if you if something's making you laugh, I will probably laugh at it as well. <laughs> All right. What about uh, some, you, Jared? Yeah. Uh, sometimes when I'm alone, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, put it out there so that that can be the cure toward this addiction. I've recently started playing a game on my phone, which I don't normally do, but I started playing this game called Tetris Blitz. And I love Tetris, classic Tetris. I wouldn't say I'm addicted to it, but this Blitz game is something I've really taken to and I probably just need to delete it. So your next, so. your next show is going to be Tetris free radio. <laughs> Maybe we talk about how Tetris applies to starving the doubts, but yeah, Tetris, uh, Tetris blitz is the name of the game. Don't download it because you might get addicted. So, and then you'll have to listen to the Tetris, Tetris splits free radio podcast, which isn't out yet. There you go. Uh, so Matt, I tell you what, uh, if you'd bring us home, uh, do you have any final thoughts? Well, you know, I had a headline I wanted to read. Please do. David Schwimmer, the actor, discusses the impact of friends' fame on his personal life. And I was wondering if either of you guys wanted to weigh in on how David Schwimmer's fame has affected your personal life. <laughs> it has affected my personal life. David Schwimmer does one of the voices of the characters, Madagascar. And I couldn't tell you how many times I've watched that uh, because Lana loves it. So, David, if you had not done Madagascar voiceover work, my life would be different. So that's my answer. I just think Friends is just a touchstone. You know, I feel like I missed it. I don't know how it affected, I think, a lot of people. You guys are a little younger than me. So maybe uh, I think it if did it affect your generation more? Did you did you watch a lot of Friends? My wife watched every episode. In fact, I, we probably have all the DVDs. I know we have some of them, but we probably have all of them. Well, now Jared's going to have a, a new answer to sometimes when I'm alone. I watch. I, I'm watching reruns of Friends. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I actually have no comment on this. I do not believe David Schwimmer's fame or personal life has had an impact on my personal life. So that's a boring way to go out for me, but it's true. Yeah. Well, and I, I appreciate the randomness of that headline, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I wanted to add to the uh, randomness. So Matt, I'd really like to hear what Chris Murphy has to say about David Schwimmer. Well, and then that may be a uh, an add-on <laughs> to this episode. Uh, Matt, I'd like to hear uh, if uh, where people can connect with you online if they're interested in finding out more about what you're up to. Well, definitely you can hear more than you want to know about me on PornFreeRadio.com every week. I tell lots of embarrassing stories on that show. And yeah, and you mentioned my website. You know, I have a website for my just my personal business, Dauber.co. So those are two great places to connect with me. I'm s sometimes on Twitter and, uh, you know, on Facebook, too. So connect with me any of those places. Good deal. Well, Matt, we appreciate your time and, and definitely appreciate your story. And thank you for what you're doing to help all these other folks recover from this problem. And I'm hoping that there's a Rage Against the Machine drop somewhere in this uh <laughs> You know, somewhere in this episode, you know, because you always play the little music in between. It could be like killing in the name of. Or, Dude, that would be or, awesome. You know, bulls on parade, you know, one of those things. It just, you know, just a little 
little taste. Let's see what we can do. So the power of podcasting now to connect with people who struggle with something you struggle with, people send me their stories every day. And I see myself sometimes in their stories and I'm like, I like talking to them. Like it helps me. 